good to be with you. It's, it's Christmas here, uh, which we're excited about. Some are more excited than others, but that's kind of the point. Uh, is, uh, so we're moving into this time of, of Christmas and uh, out of Mark and into some passages that are going to look at uh, the Christmas season and help us to foster, uh, of all things, joy this Christmas season. We might have great joy in what Christ has done and uh, not just kind of this superficial joy, not just kind of the like Christmas spirit joy or this nostalgic sentimental joy, uh, not just materialistic joy, uh, but a real, a real deep joy in Christ that we might enjoy him for, for who he is and what he's done. And uh, that might uh, be a light in the darkness. And that's kind of what we're talking about today. We're talking about how can we have... Uh, Joy in the midst of, of suffering and darkness. How can we have that kind of deep joy even in the midst of uh, seasons where, where we are not inherently joyful? How do, how do we foster it uh, through Christ? And today we're going to be looking at uh, one of the great prophecies of the Old Testament. We're going back to Isaiah. So we read uh, Isaiah 6 earlier. Now we're looking at Isaiah 9. And this is a dark time in the life of Israel. This is a dark time. This is uh, probably one of the worst times for the, the northern tribe of Israel, the northern tribes of Israel, the northern kingdom. And yet they're given this great prophecy of joy. And want to see, okay, how do they, how can they live in the midst of joy even as this is happening to them? What is the larger plan? What is the larger vision? How is joy fostered even in the midst of these things? And so we're going to look at... Uh, what it looks like to be in the darkness, what it looks like to, for a light to come, and then uh, just who Jesus Christ is in this passage and the, the beauty of that. So let's turn to Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. I will turn to Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. I'll never, never get over saying that. You guys don't have Bibles. All right. <laughs> All right. So, some do. Some do. All right. Uh, read with me. Uh, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken, as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior, in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government, of the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that in the midst of darkness you send a light. And you have sent your great light, Jesus Christ, that, Father, so long ago you've 
in creation, you spoke light out of darkness, and, and Father, you speak into that now in the name of Jesus. And Father, I ask that that light might penetrate our, our hearts, it might penetrate our, our lives, and might uh, radiate with real joy within us. And so, Father, would you help us to understand these things? Um, the Old Testament is difficult. Prophecies are difficult, and yet we long to, uh, to see Jesus in them. So, Father, would you give us joyful hearts? Would you give us uh, understanding by your Spirit? And, Father, would you make us um, bearers of the light that is Christ, that we may be joyful and then spread that joy. We pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so... This passage begins with uh, a people walking in darkness. Verse 2, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light is shown. Now, uh, we need to understand exactly what it means by walking in darkness here. Because uh, this is the Old Testament. All right, we, can, we, can, we can jump ahead, we can get really excited about things, and miss really what the context is here. So, uh, what does it mean to be walking in darkness for these people at this time? Now, it's not just general suffering. It actually goes, goes really deep. Uh, just before this, uh, Isaiah has just told Israel that they will be destroyed. That after years and years of idolatry and sin and refusing to repent, God has at the end of his patience, and who is he going to send? He is going to send the nation of Assyria. He uses this metaphor that like a flood rising up, they will, they will overcome and sweep this northern kingdom of Israel away. They will be destroyed and then brought away into the land of Assyria, torn from their homes, torn from their families, torn from their lives. Utter devastation. That's the context here. And so we have to kind of, okay, that's, that's what we're dealing with and that's where we, we need a depth of joy that can overcome those sorts of things that would be a message to those people uh, that how can that be restored and redeemed, lives just completely in ruin. Right now, that enough would be, would be great darkness. You say, oh, they're, they're walking in darkness. I can understand that. Uh, it goes deeper, actually. It goes deeper, and that's not the ultimate darkness that's in view here. So we're going to go back to Isaiah 20, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20, and, and see just how deep this goes. So there's the external darkness, but then there's the internal as well. To the teaching and to the testimony. This is Isaiah calling out, like, listen to these things, to the teaching and to the testimony, this message that God is, is pouring out his wrath because of, of unrepentance and sin if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry, and when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will, con will speak contemptuously against their king and their God. They turn their faces upward, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into, into thick darkness." What is this talking about? This is saying that it's a testimony. 
That God, in all of this, he has a message for the people that, no, this is because of of unrepentance. This is a, a judgment, a calling out to repent of sin and to recognize your fallenness. But what does he see? He sees that these people will not repent. And they don't want the message. They don't want the teaching. They don't want the testimony. And this light that is supposed to come and, and reveal to them how desperately they need God and how they should run back to him, there is no dawn. There is no dawn spiritually for them that they wake up in the morning and darkness is all they see. And in that, in that what do they do? Instead of seeing this as God's Justice is seeing it as a call to come back to them. What do they do? They, they look up to heaven and they curse their God. And they shake their fist at him and they say, you know, I, I don't want to hear the message. And they want to be blind to God and what he's doing. And so they put their blinders to the vertical things and then all that's left is they can look horizontally at the world before them, and it is bleak and it is broken, and there is nothing but darkness. All right. That. That is the darkness into which uh, this passage is speaking. That yes, yes, suffering, but also this just blindness to God and an anger against him and, and a shaking of our fists. Now, The reality here is that we, we're dealing with a rejection of the God who, who is light, who is the only light, a rejection of the one who is life himself, who, who is the giver of life and the bearer of life and the sustainer of life. This is the one who is love, who is love in his very person being rejected. This is the one who is, is joy there are pleasures forevermore and, and real delight is at the right hand of the Father and yet all of this is being rejected. And looking at the world, there's, there's very little hope for these who are walking in the midst of it. Now, we need the light. We desperately need light. These people desperately need light. And too often, we can be very similar. That as suffering comes about, uh, we, don't, we don't seek out the one who is light, who is love, who is joy. We, we shake our fist. Or, or we put blinders on and we just start to ignore God and, and life becomes very bleak because we blotted out the spiritual sun. And things start to, start to wither and start to perish. And things get very cold and dark. All right. That is, that is the human nature. That in response to this call to, to come back to God, often we run the other way. And we ask, okay, what does, what, how, does that, how do we break that pattern? What needs to happen? What does God do when we shake his, our fist at him? What does God do when we utterly reject him? What does God do when we don't want to see him? When we don't want to look up and we will only look around us? All right, the great message is that 
that the light comes down. That God comes to, to come right in our face. If we won't look up at him, then he will come down to us and look us face to face, right in our eyes. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness not overcome it. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. All right. Chapter 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former times he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. All right. I need to convince you that you should care about Naphtali and Zebulun. All right. <laughs> All right. So, uh, quick, quick geography lesson. Uh, it, will, it will make sense. All right. So, uh, northern kingdom, southern kingdom. And there's northern tribes and southern tribes. And the northern tribes, they're, they're, they don't do too hot in the history of the Bible. Uh, and so, Naphtali and Zebulun, uh, they were wiped away by the Syria. And uh, repopulated, and they can kind of become this, this mixed bag, half-breed, no one likes them, sort of followers of God, but it just gets all messy. Now, what do we call that place when Jesus comes? That's the land of Galilee. That's the land of Galilee. We talked about uh, the Sea of Galilee last week. That's where the storm was. That's this region that so often comes up in the work and ministry of Jesus. That of these two places, there's this holy place and there's the unholy place. The one was destroyed by Assyria and the one that repented and didn't get destroyed by Assyria. And what he's saying here is that this Galilee of the nations, though it used to be this land of contempt, has been made glorious. The way of the sea, the way of the sea of Galilee has become beautiful and glorious. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. As they are glad, they divide the spoil. The yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as in the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. So into that place, into that place, the light has come. Now this is 800 years before the ministry of Jesus, and yet there's this prophecy that that land, that land of Galilee, will be blessed as the light comes upon it. Now Jesus reads these very same words in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 4, and he says, you know what, I am the light, I have come, and, the, and what does he do? He spends most of his time in Galilee. That Jesus spends most of his time among the, the half-breeds, the, the screw-ups, the ones who were rejected by that holy place, Jerusalem and Judah. And we see that there is actually this, uh, this amazing, beautiful reversal that's true of the gospel that this one who used to be the reject, this one who used to be just sinners who were doomed to, to be destroyed, 
after 800 years of, of suffering and preparation for the Savior, they're the ones who receive him. That they're the ones who are humble enough to receive a Savior. They're the ones who, when Jesus says, repent, the kingdom of, of, God, of heaven is at hand, they rejoice. And suddenly, these ones who were so dark and who were so blind to God, they're the ones who are seeing the light that is Christ. And we have this strange reversal. Now, Jesus spends most of his time in Galilee because of the rejection in Jerusalem and Judah. They don't want a king. They don't need a king. They're not sinners. They don't need to repent. They've done a great job of all of this. Even though they went to exile, uh, God, God was kinder to them than to the northern kingdom. And they ultimately end up rejecting him. And that's where, okay, we have, to, we have this larger view of, of suffering and the working of God that working for 800 years, God was preparing this northern tribes to, to receive their Savior. And in the end, they are the ones rejoicing. And the ones who, who weren't protected, who were kept from the suffering, they're kept from their Savior as well. All right, that's the kind of like large-scale, big-thinking, God's plan kind of stuff we're talking about when we think about the joy that we are to have in Christ. It isn't, it isn't, and never has been just these, these superficial blessings. It is all centered upon whether you have Jesus, the source of real joy. And as we look at these people, and we're saying, hey, wow, it's, it's great that they used to be oppressed, and they used to have this hard time. Uh, yes, we're, it's, it's amazing that now they're rejoicing, that they, they rejoice as the harvest, that the rod of their oppressors has been broken, but... It's so much more amazing when you get the context. Because it, it's not just that they were having a hard time and now they're not anymore. No, they were under the, the hand of God's wrath and judgment and refusing to repent. And as we look at this, we say, oh, the, the ending of suffering is the ending of, of judgment. It's God's restoring of them and he doesn't need to discipline them anymore. They have come. They have repented. They have returned. That's what this means. And so this isn't just this kind of like beauty pageant, world peace kind of thing. This is restoration with God and coming back into fellowship with the one who is life and joy and hope. And as we see that, my hope is that we might see that this is how God works. And that God, he, he wants greater joys than temporal things. He wants us to have our Savior and to delight in him and to love him. And the rules for that are not that you might be a holy person, that you might be righteous, that you might come to him with great sacrifices. It's that you might repent and see your sin and know that you desperately need a Savior to die for you. That's that's your, your freedom, and that's the source of your joy. And joy that you could even say that Jesus is your Savior. That you haven't been blind to all of those things. 
Now, who is this Jesus then? Who is this Jesus? Let's look at, at how uh, Isaiah describes him. These are amazing things. So the light has come, and who is he? He is, uh, he is this one, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. All right, this is a weird combo. This is a really weird combo. And if, if you were an ancient interpreter of this, I don't know what you would have done. All right. For to us a child is born, a son is given. All right. All right. So it's a person. And his names, his names are too much for this person. All right. He is his wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. This is heresy. And it's very like, how could this possibly be? All right, this is the, the amazing beauty of the incarnation. This is who this Savior Jesus really is. He's wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. That wonderful, it has this, these undertones of like the incomprehensible. He understands and he knows. And he is our, he's our counselor. That he offers himself and he says, come to me, you who are, who are weak and heavy laden, and reading in Hebrews, Hebrews talks about his humanity and how Jesus, he, he was weak. He was hungry. He thirsted. He got tired. All right, even more than that, these are, this is big and we don't think about it very often. He had to have faith. He didn't just know everything. No, in his human nature, uh, he was committed to being human so that he could save us as, as humans and so he lived by faith. And when he prayed to, to his father, he wasn't, he didn't have like a special line, a special phone line that like, oh yeah, I, I heard you and I'm going to do that by, by doing A, B. No, he had to trust that his father was good. And he experienced real temptations and he really suffered. And Hebrews tries to convince us he's a good counselor. He knows exactly what you've been through. He knows how to get you through the suffering. He knows how to give you joys and to, to sustain you. Because he is God and man, he's together. This amazing reality. He is mighty God. Mighty God. That is the glory of the incarnation right there. That the mighty God might be born as a child he came to, to dwell with man so that we who, who refuse to look up might see him and see him as we are and know and experience this father who we are so often terrified of, and we shouldn't be, but we are. He comes to, to speak to us as we are and to convince us of the love of the father and the grace and the, the life that is in him. Now, this is, a, this is interesting. He's an everlasting father. Okay, uh, don't, don't mess up your trinity here, all right? 
He's not the same as the Father. Two distinct persons. Uh, all right. But he is, he is a father in the kingdom in a sense that all right, he, is, he has made this all happen. And he is there forever to, to teach us and to guide us and to protect us and to care for us as a father does for his children. Now, there are good fathers and there are bad fathers, but one kind of sad reality is that we only get fathers for a time. That there's a time when our fathers leave us and, and we are left alone to, to fend for ourselves. And here is Jesus, the everlasting Father, who never leaves us, who, who walks with us every step of the way. He is the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. And that peace starts with Jesus Christ, the God-man, reconciling us to our God and to being the mediator and to bearing the wrath of God upon the cross so that we might have no more quarrel with our Father. And one day he is going to bring that peace and, and make true everlasting peace forever because there will be no more sin, there will be no more enemies, there will be no more Satan, there will be no more suffering, there will be nothing to fight about. He will reign forever on the throne of David. He is the fulfillment of all of these things. And now what is our, what is our promise that God is going to actually do all this stuff? All right, I love this, this last section. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. All right, what's our, what's our foundation here? That God wants to do this and he's excited about it. He's zealous for his own work and he's zealous to show his glory in this way. He's zealous to reveal a light to a people in the darkness. And, and that zeal, that zeal took Jesus Christ into the manger. That zeal took Jesus Christ cross and into the grave and resurrected and he is zealously ruling from on high from the throne and he has great zeal for coming back and completing his work that is our our great joy that we have this great this great king and this one who is going to do these things he's already started that process he's done the hard part all right, he's done the hard part. He's definitely going to do the easy part, coming back and, and fulfilling it all for the joy and zeal of doing it. All right. So what do you do? What are you called to do in all of this? All right. You're called to, to see the light. To see the light and to, to hear the message that all of these things will end what is the thing required of us? Just repentance. To admit that we are walking in darkness and to see the light. And then live as if this joyful kingdom is real. Because it is real. And Jesus Christ is coming again and he's going to establish it. And we're going to know these blessings and taste them and see them. We're going to be able to look him face to face as the God-man forever. That is our great joy. That is our great hope. And we can stop looking 
horizontally for hope and joy and peace. And we can look up and see our Savior sitting at the throne doing the work he's called to do. Now, one last thing. All right, what do we do with suffering now? Because there's suffering now. And we say, well, I, I want it gone. Why is it just a promise standing out there? Uh, well, there's one more thing that, that is said about light. Well, there's lots of things, but one more thing I'm going to mention. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 4, we're told that we are jars of clay. That we are jars of clay, but we are filled with light. The light of the knowledge of Christ the knowledge of the light of the glory of God revealed in the person of Christ. And the question is, how do you get the light to come out? All right, you're a jar of clay. They're not translucent. And what does he say? He says, you know what? Paul says, you have to break the clay. You have to crush it. You have to snap it in two. You have to crack it. And the light starts to shine out. And that's where... Suddenly, we're not desperate to so much get rid of the suffering. We're desperate for the light to get out. And we're desperate for, for people to, to see the light and the glory of Christ and the glory that is found in him. And we throw up our arms and say, you know what? If I have to suffer so that that light comes out, so that that joy can be revealed, so that I can show the world that my hope is, is in something beyond this world, Then bring it on. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we... We come to you as uh, feeble, simple creatures dealing with, um, with you who, are, who is infinite and, and beyond our understanding, who is incomprehensible and, and amazing. And Father, we ask that in our foolishness we would not shake our fists at you, we would not look for our hope and our joy in the kingdoms of the world, but, Father, that we would delight in our Savior. And, Father, that the, the light that he brings would, would flood our, our souls and our lives. And, Father, that we would so delight in Christ and his glory that we would even accept the suffering that reveals uh, his glory in the world. Father, would you make these things real for us? Would you give us real joy? real joy that is beyond warm fuzzies, but that is uh, rooted in the work and glory of Christ. We pray this in his name.